facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to the program. It is Tuesday. It is July the 18th, 2023, and so good to have you here with me. You can give me a call right now, 888-914-9149. Grab your spot. Grab a line, 888-914-9149. You can also, of course, email the program. Want to become an honorary shadow producer of the show? Send me a show idea, an article that you find interesting, something you think I might have a take on. Send it to kale at relevantradio.com, C-A-L-E at relevantradio.com. That's the email address. And you can also find me on Twitter, another place you can get a message to me, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And if you do follow me on Twitter, you saw a really cool graphic by the great John Hanready about tonight's show, which is called The Dark Night of the Soul. And this has nothing to do with St. John of the Cross. No, it's The Dark Night with a K. Because 15 years ago today, one of the most important movies ever, at least to me, was released. I'm going to tell you about it in just a second. It's summer blockbuster season. In case you hadn't noticed, there's a new Mission Impossible franchise movie out with Tom Cruise. It's coming. And I I, I wish I was as excited about that, as much as I love Tom Cruise. He's my favorite actor. I wish I was as excited about that as I am about another film that's coming out called Oppenheimer. Also at the end of the month, I think it's uh, July 27th, if I'm not mistaken, starring Killian Murphy as Robert J. Oppenheimer. It's all about the atomic bomb, World War II. Matt Damon's in it as well. Uh, Christopher Nolan directing the great Christopher Nolan. And I have heard rave reviews of this film online from people who have seen it in Europe. Uh, Some special preview uh, showings of the film. I can't wait. Apparently it's his most political film yet. And in the days to come, before the movie is released, I'm going to have some conversation for you about World War II, the atomic bomb, the morality of whether or not the bomb should have been dropped. It's, it's a, a really important question for Catholic purposes. We will dive into that as we get closer to that time. You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show, 888 So I'm really excited about Oppenheimer. And I'm also excited about another film, as I always am. It came out 15 years ago today. Today's the anniversary on this day, July the 18th, 2008, 2008. The Dark Knight came out. And this was the second in the Christopher Nolan Batman film trilogy. And it is, a, I think, probably a very unintentionally Catholic film, but it's a very, very Catholic film, even though... He may not know this, but uh, I I know it. I'm going to tell you why in just a second. And you, you, if you haven't seen this film, I will not uh, give any major spoilers. I'm going to save that for your viewing pleasure. You can check it out if you haven't seen it yet. If you're one of the few who hasn't seen it yet. Uh, Christopher Nolan, by the way, he says he's done with superhero films. He's not going to do another one as far as he knows. But I'm glad he did this trilogy, which started with Batman Begins. Uh, the second one was The Dark Knight, and it finished off with The Dark Knight Rises. And really, even if you're not into superhero films, you're still going to want to listen because, again, this film has some great Catholic themes. We're going to talk about some other stuff, too, later, so hang on. Uh, But it's really, look at it really as a great crime drama film. That's really what it is, even though it is, of course, uh, in the superhero genre. It's just a great crime drama film. It has a lot to say about the human condition as well. And I... In terms of superhero films and the faith, 
I, I, I've talked about this before, and we'll have to talk about this again on another show because it, it's too much for today. But the Superman films, the, the ones by Richard Donner, and certainly the one by Brian Singer called Superman Returns, which came out in 2006, in, in those movies, Superman is clearly portray, portrayed as a Christ figure, as a Jesus figure. Now, in the comics as well, but keep in mind that Superman was created by uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, uh, who were Jewish uh, comic creators. They maybe had Moses born in mind uh, as kind of a savior figure, but certainly, maybe later in the comics, but certainly in those movies, especially Superman Returns, Superman is presented as a, as a Christ figure. Not so much in The Dark Knight. The hero of The Dark Knight isn't so much a representation of Jesus, but really somebody else in the spiritual pantheon. And I'll talk about that in just a second. But I would say the difference between a movie like Superman Returns and these Batman films by Christopher Nolan, it's a little bit like the difference between the Narnia series by C.S. Lewis, in which it's very obvious. It's almost painfully obvious. It's a very, very clear, easy-to-understand allegory that Aslan the Lion is Christ. He's a Christ figure. Okay, we get it. It's kind of the difference between that and The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, who, of course, was a friend of C.S. Lewis. They were part of the Inklings together. Now, in The Lord of the Rings, you've got to look for God and the devil, for that matter, in the details. It's a lot more complex. It's a lot more nuanced than the Narnia series, where obviously Aslan equals Christ. Tolkien, it takes a little bit more thought uh, to figure it out. And, and, And that's, I think, in some ways, the difference between Superman Returns, let's say, and uh, these Batman films by by Nolan. Well, in, in The Dark Knight, speaking of the devil being in the details, the devil in The Dark Knight is clearly the diabolical Joker played by Heath Ledger. Uh, if you remember the film, uh, his tongue is just slithering over hideously scarred lips. Uh, he is a liar through and through, like Satan himself, who Christ called the father of lies. And just, just just introducing this, really the Joker was kind of set up at the end of the first film, which was called Batman Begins. It's kind of the last scene of the movie in which Batman meets Commissioner Gordon, played by Gary Oldman, on top of the police station, the Gotham Police Station. He shows him the new bat signal that he set up, and they have this interesting conversation about escalation. Check it out. couldn't find any mob bosses. Well, Sergeant. Oh, it's Lieutenant now. You really started something. Bent cops running scared. Hope on the streets. But the Narrows is lost. And we still haven't picked up Crane or half the inmates of Arkham that he freed. We will. We can bring Gotham back. What about escalation? Escalation. If we start carrying semi-automatics, they buy automatics. We start wearing Kevlar. They buy armor-piercing rounds. Yeah. And you're wearing a mask. Jumping off rooftops. Now take this guy. Armed robbery, double homicide. Got a taste for the theatrical, like you. Leaves a calling card. said thank you. 
escalation scene at the end of Batman Begins. And I, I, I upgraded him to Commissioner Gordon a little bit too soon. He was still Lieutenant Gordon. He, he, it was kind of the origin story of Commissioner Gordon as well as Batman. He goes from Detective Jim Gordon to Lieutenant Gordon and eventually becomes Commissioner. Uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. And so this idea of escalation. And, and Hans Zimmer, by the way, you heard in the background one of the incredible Batman themes from composer Hans Zimmer. And uh, Jim, do you have a clip of the the main theme that he composed? It's really interesting. He kind of he kind of used this theme of escalation in, in the music as well. Check it out. Okay, and so if you can hear me, Jim, just let me know it's my mic up. Okay, yeah. So as you're listening to this, um, he used he used escalation as, as the theme for uh, the great music in the Dark Knight. It's interesting, when he did the Joker's theme, by the way, this is kind of cool, kind of a cool factoid. He used the notes D and C specifically for the Joker's theme. DC Comics, get it? So he threw that. That's, that's the musical genius that Hans Zimmer is. And also, he just doing the Joker's music, it's very, very, it's kind of edgy, uh, keeps you on the edge of your seat. He actually used razor blades, speaking of edgy, razor blades on piano wire and glass shards to play the guitar strings as he was composing this. Incredible stuff. And so the, the music of these films is pretty iconic as well. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 But back to the spiritual themes, the Catholic themes that are in The Dark Knight, which was released 15 years ago today. And so as I, as I talked about, the Joker, he is a liar through and through. He, he's very much a, a Satan figure in the film. And Jesus called the devil, called Satan the father of lies in John chapter 8, verse 44. And that's exactly what the Joker does all throughout this film. He offers very conflicting but equally disturbing accounts of where he got his wounds from, how he became who he is, where he got his scars from. He's always saying this, you know, you want to know how I got these scars? And every story that he tells is different, and maybe he doesn't even know uh, what the truth is or has forgotten it, but he's probably intentionally deceiving. And this comes from, actually, the, the impetus for, from this was a Batman comic called The Killing Joke, a uh, little graphic novel comic. It's also pretty disturbing if you've ever read it. Um, and, and he kind of does that in that comic, and, and Christopher Nolan drew from that. And David Gorger, who did the script, uh, drew from some of these classic Batman comic treatments in, in making this film. So the Joker in the movie claims that there's no method to his madness. He, he says things like, I'm a dog chasing after cars. I wouldn't know what to do if I caught one. But that's not quite true. He meticulously scripts out all of his nefarious themes to the nth degree, almost exhibiting a, a preternatural intelligence. Everything he knows is going to happen, how the dominoes are going to fall. And that's a lot like Satan, who, of course, does have that preternatural intelligence. He is a fallen angel doesn't hold a candle to God, obviously. not. He's like a gnat compared to God, but he's still smarter than everybody on earth put together. And according to scripture, he may have been the music director of heaven, Lucifer, the light bearer, obviously a very powerful angel who fell and took a third of the angels with him, became fallen angels, demons, according to the book of Revelation. And, and, and this is exactly what's going on with him. And that, that final act of the Dark Knight film, it pictures the Joker surrounded with three hounds as if from hell, the hounds of hell, kind of underlying the demonic source of his destructive madness, if you will. And 
And obviously Heath Ledger, he, and people, when he got selected for the role of the Joker, people just panned the decision. Internet chat boards, I mean, people were lampooning this. They People did not want Ledger as the Joker. Uh, they thought it was a terrible choice. Obviously, did he ever prove them wrong with his posthumous Oscar for the role? But other people who were considered at the time, Paul Bettany, you might recognize him as as Vision from the Avengers films. Um Steve Carell, of all people, from The Office, was also considered for the role. I don't know how that would have worked out, but he's done some dramatic stuff lately. He could have surprised some people. But anyways, Ledger got the role, and he holed himself up in a, in a hotel room, or a motel room, really, for six weeks, just getting into character. He was watching stuff like The Clockwork, uh, Clockwork Orange, very disturbing, uh, taking notes. He was coming up with the distinctive voice for the Joker, his mannerisms, his facial tics. And the makeup, actually, Heath Ledger invented that Joker makeup himself. He just went to a, a drugstore, bought a bunch of cheap cosmetics, and, and kind of came up with this look on his own in the motel room. And Christopher Nolan liked it so much. So let's stick with this. He had a real makeup artist kind of replicate uh, the look every day. But the only thing that was different was the prosthetic scars that he had on his face. In, in the movie, he's, he's licking his lips constantly. That's one of his facial tics. But he actually, that was from necessity because these prosthetic prosthetic scars kept falling off and he was just trying to lick his lips and, and stick them back into place and that became uh, another mannerism of the character but at any rate uh, he, he forget about the makeup he he totally disappeared into that role Heath Ledger you don't even know it's him anymore and this is a chilling treatment of the character he's truly frightening he's truly malevolent this is not Jack Nicholson's comic buffoon from the first Batman film with Michael Keaton this is a on a different level altogether. Now, when it comes to Batman, we're listening to, you're listening to, and I'm listening to it too, as, as I'm listening to myself, to the Kale Clark Show here on Relevant Radio. Uh, when it comes to Batman slash Bruce Wayne, of course, his alter ego, and the, and the question is, who is the real person? Is it as uh, uh, Batman slash Bruce Wayne's girlfriend, uh, played by Katie Holmes, Rachel, in the first movie, she's like, you know, I don't know what the mask is. Is it Bruce Wayne or is it Batman? And anyways, played again by Christian Bale. Um, I don't want to read too much into this, but it's ironic that his name is Christian because his character, the Batman character, I think really represents the Christian and all of our struggles that we have against evil. Now, again, Superman, who was a Christ figure, he was born great. Superman arrived on the scene already great. But Batman has to struggle to achieve greatness. And just like us, he's got to fight. He's got to fight the spiritual battle. And in Ephesians chapter 6, St. Paul starts talking about the spiritual battle. He talks about the armor that we have to put on, the armor of God. He, t- he talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He talks about the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. Well, it's kind of the belt of truth around your loins. It's kind of like the utility belt from Batman. Batman's got all this gear you and I could be Batman. I mean, if, you, if we had enough cash like Bruce Wayne, we, he, through his ingenuity, through his resources, he gets the gear and, and he uses that to fight against evil. And we've kind of got to do that as well. We've got to put on our utility belt of truth, the truth of God. We've got to take up the spiritual weaponry that we need to uh, for this battle. And he uses this to withstand the Joker's assaults. And he's resisting constantly the temptation to compromise because Throughout the movie, throughout the Dark Knight, the Joker is trying to get Batman to break his one rule. His one rule. What's his one rule? He won't kill. Batman will not kill. And number two, he won't use guns. 
Because if you know the Batman mythology, his own parents, um, Thomas and Martha Wayne, are gunned down outside of a theater by, by a, a con man. Now, his name is Joe Chill in the first Batman movie with Jack Nicholson. They made the Joker the guy who did it. Well, he didn't do it. That's not, the, that's not correct. They kind of skipped a couple of steps there and melded the characters together. But at any rate, um, Bruce Wayne's parents are, are killed outside of a theater. And in the latest Batman film starring Robert Pattinson as Batman, they actually did something kind of cool. I don't, I don't think they actually explicitly referenced it in the movie, but the Batman logo on his Batman armor is actually made out of the gun that was used to kill his parents. He kind of he, he refashioned it into, into a symbol of, I guess, vengeance and the battle against evil. Anyway, so Batman never uses guns and he will not kill. So the Joker says, I'm going to make you break your one rule. Is he successful? We're going to have to check out the movie. Again, I'm trying to keep it as spoiler-free as I possibly can. And it's interesting because Batman is, is not really a Christ figure. Superman's the Christ figure. Okay, if Batman's not a Christ figure, who is he the most like? Again, I think it's St. Paul. I think he's more like St. Paul because what did St. Paul say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, St. Paul said, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what he's trying to do is Batman's trying to inspire others to take back the streets of Gotham City. Evil corruption has run rampant, and he's trying to inspire others to take back the streets. Now, some people try to become vigilantes like Batman himself, and it doesn't really work out for a couple of people. And again, I don't want to give it away, but it's pretty grisly. But there are a lot of other similarities between Batman and St. Paul. In one scene in The Dark Knight, Bruce Wayne kind of takes off his shirt and you can see all the scars on his back, all the scars on his body resulting from his war on evil. And St. Paul wrote, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Let nobody give me any trouble. Nobody give me any guff because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Galatians chapter 6 verse 17. He suffered numerous stonings. He was stoned, left for dead. He was beaten. He was whipped with with a whip, 40 lashes minus one on many occasions uh, in the synagogues. Uh, All kinds of calamities, shipwrecks, uh, beatings of all sorts. And he talks about this. He kind of goes through his litany of sufferings in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12. He did all of this for the sake of proclaiming the gospel, extreme measures. He really took extreme measures to combat the darkness. If you think about Paul's missionary journeys, and if you, if you have a Bible, you can check a map in your Bible of Paul's missionary journeys. Many Bibles will have this. It's incredible, the territory that he was able to traverse on his journeys, whether it's, he, he didn't have bullet trains. He didn't have uh, electric vehicles like Tesla's. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a motorcycle like the Bat Pod. He didn't have the Batmobile, that's for sure. But it's inc- most of it was on foot. Some of it might have been uh, on an animal. But but nonetheless, he <laughs> he logged a lot of steps. If he was wearing an Apple Watch, his steps would be off the charts, probably break the computer. He, he And he did it all to try to fight evil. And that's kind of exactly what Bruce Wayne does. He goes to extreme measures and even takes the battle worldwide. In fact, in the movie, one of the most thrilling sequences in The Dark Knight, he even goes, Bruce Wayne as Batman, goes all the way to Hong Kong just to catch a criminal. You got to see it. It's a, it's a great 
scene. All right, so we're going to talk more about this in a second. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Adam in Minneapolis. Hi, Adam. Hi there, Kale. Good to hear your voice. Thanks for calling in. Well, thank you. Say, you know, I just wanted to give a call. Um, you folks are just such a blessing. I just found you, you know, dialing on the radio uh, and on the way home from work. And now it's, you know, it's something that's part of my work day. And I really look forward to the message that you guys have. And, um, you know, just bringing some light into the world. Um, I, I'm not a Catholic uh, guy, but I'm kind of learning about Catholicism and and certainly a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to call and just thank you guys for what you do, and um, and just uh, keep keep doing uh, what you're doing and keep fighting the good fight. It's uh, it's just great to listen to and uh, learn from uh, you know the stuff that's on every day. Adam, hey, I, I appreciate that phone call. That, that is so, so encouraging. Adam in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hey, we love traffic jams on Relevant Radio, and we, we don't like the fact that people have to commute and spend time. But hey, if you're going to spend that time, why not spend it with us? We'll try to make it as enriching as possible. And I'm so thankful that you called. And we have a lot of non-Catholic listeners out there. We're so grateful for all of you. Uh, we're just trying to seek the truth together. And I'm so happy that the show's been beneficial to you. So glad that you found us. So glad that you called in because not everybody who listens calls in. Maybe you're shy. Maybe you're not. But uh, we do appreciate those words of encouragement. Adam, I, I really am so glad that you called. So keep on keeping on. I hope you do call back again real soon now, you hear? And we got to just step away just for one second here for a break. But we'll be right back on the Kale Clark Show with much more. 888-914-9149. I'm back. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Welcome back to The Kale Clark Show on this Tuesday in July. It's the 18th of July to be exact, and it's the 15th anniversary of the release of one of the most iconic films of all time, The Dark Knight, the second in the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. And it's got a lot of great spiritual themes. We were talking about this before the break, how Heath Ledger's Joker is kind of an archetype of Satan. Uh, Christian Bale plays Batman, Bruce Wayne. He's kind of a St. Paul figure, not so much a Christ figure like Superman, but he's kind of a St. Paul figure. So if you missed any of that, you're definitely going to want to grab the podcast after the program. It should be up a few minutes after the show. But just if you're tuning in right now, here's a clip from the trailer for The Dark Knight. Check it out. Would have to become to stop men like him. The night is darkest just before the dawn. And I promise you, the dawn is coming. And here we go. Come on. This city deserves a better class of criminal. I'm gonna give it to him. You'll see. I'll show you. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. 
in the back, pod, sir? In the middle of the day, Alfred? Not very subtle. The Lamborghini, then. Much more subtle. Yes, the great Michael Caine as Alfred. That was the trailer for The Dark Knight. And it almost sounded, uh, Producer Jim, it almost sounded like Peter Atkinson from The Merry Beggars there voicing the Joker. But it was actually uh, Heath Ledger, who, of course, won an Oscar for this. And, and Pete, if you're listening, I'm sure your Oscar uh, is coming, too, for your work on The Merry Beggars. Uh, it'll happen, trust me, because you guys are doing amazing work. Uh, some cool stuff coming down the pike from The Beggars, which we'll talk about uh, as we go along this summer. But once again, uh, talking about the dark night and and that voice that you heard saying the night is darkest just before the dawn, that was the district attorney Harvey Dent, who of course becomes the criminal Two-Face uh, in the movie. And, and by the way, Christopher Nolan, who, who directed the film, he always said that the character of Harvey Dent slash Two-Face was really the emotional heart of the film. Now, I, I had always kind of expected that that was Nolan's way of throwing a bone to actor Aaron Eckhart, who played Harvey Dent, Two-Face, lest his performance be lost in the mania surrounding Heath Ledger's epic turn as the Joker. But I, I really do think that Nolan spoke rightly because Harvey Dent's character really ties this film together. And by the way, uh, Aaron Eckhart uh, got the part because Christopher Nolan really liked his work in a, in a film called Thank You for Smoking. But uh, he had some other people he was considering as well. Hugh Jackman was up for the role of Harvey Dent Two-Face, and actually probably the front runner was was Matt Damon. That's kind of interesting, because he's now working with Matt Damon on Oppenheimer, so I guess he's a favorite of Nolan's, but he wanted Matt Damon to do it, but Damon was already tied up with another film project, couldn't get out of his contract, so he had to, couldn't make it. So he started looking around, and he really liked Aaron Eckhart, offered him the job, and, and he really does tie this film together. And, and to me, from a spiritual perspective, I think that the Harvey Dent slash Two-Face character represents the drama of the individual soul. You know, the choices that we make. We can make choices for good and for evil. We can take the way of Satan. We can take the way of Christ. And and Christ and the devil are obviously have different designs and different outcomes in mind for each individual soul. And the Joker, played by Heath Ledger, he, he seeks to draw Harvey Dent, who's this who's called the White Knight of Gotham City. He's a, he's a district attorney. He's also crusading against evil, just as Batman, but in a different way, of course, using the law. And, and the Joker tries to tempt him. Now, Harvey Dent has this horrific accident. It's not really an accident. It was, a, it was planned by the Joker. And this horrible thing happens to him. Uh, basically, half his face gets blown off, if you've seen the film. It, it's, it's, it's a ghastly, ghastly image. Uh, where one side of his face is totally fine, the other side is not. I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it there. If you've seen the movie, you of course, know what I'm talking about. Um, and by the way, it was apparently that was all CGI. I thought it was some makeup and prosthetics, but no, it was all CGI. You could just Nolan couldn't get it right with makeup, so they had to do it using CGI. But I think it's well done. It's not cheesy CGI uh, by any stretch. But but after his accident, uh, you know, Harvey Dent is recovering in the hospital, and the Joker visits him. And he has this conversation with him, and he's trying to convince Harvey Dent to share in his, the Joker's, hell-bent way of life, just as Satan did, by the way, with our first parents. If you read Genesis chapter 3, it all kind of starts with a conversation, right? Did God really say, don't eat from this tree? Why would he, want, why would he say that to you? What's he trying to hide from you? What's he trying to keep from you? Think about it. Don't have that conversation with the enemy. Do not dialogue with temptation. That's how he gets you. You got to run away. 
Got to run away. But Harvey Dent, unfortunately, he's kind of stuck in his hospital bed. He has no choice. He's not going away. He talks to him. He eventually takes the bait. And as Two-Face, the criminal Two-Face, begins his own reign of terror and murder, somewhat like Cain in the Bible, right? The devil, his handiwork results in the fall. And then what do we have in what do we have happen right after that in Genesis chapter 4? The very first murder in human history. Cain murders his brother Abel, righteous Abel. And that just starts this wicked line. The descendants of Cain become more and more awful throughout time. And then uh, God gives Adam and Eve another son, Seth, who kind of replaces Abel. And the line of Seth, the righteous line of Seth versus the evil line of Cain is kind of a theme not only in Genesis but throughout Scripture. Uh, the, the children of the enemy, if you will, versus the, the sons and daughters of God. And so, essentially, Two-Face begins this reign of murder of his own like Cain. And Batman, as we know, I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler, he, he kind of, spoiler alert, he, he takes the fall at the end for Harvey Dent because Harvey Dent was such a symbol of hope uh, for the people of Gotham that if they were to find out what he had become, it would have just... Ruined everything. So he, he, he essentially vicariously substitutes himself for Harvey Dent. Batman takes the blame for all of Dent's crimes. He makes himself public enemy number one. Batman does in the process. And this is very much what Christ has done for us on the cross. He takes the blame. He takes the fall for us. But back to Harvey Dent for a second. So you're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 If you have a take on this, love to hear it. If you're on the line, please hang on. We'll get to your calls in just a second. So Harvey Dent, his his marred visage, his, his horrific injuries, it kind of points to the potential evil that's lurking within all of us. And by the way, Aaron Eckhart, when he was studying for the role of, of Harvey Dent, just like Heath Ledger kind of became this method actor, threw himself into this character of the Joker, Aaron Eckhart researched Robert Kennedy, Robert Kennedy Sr., who stood up to the mob, and he kind of used him as a as a role model. And he also looked at people who had um, bipolar conditions, uh, split personality disorders, um, people who had been burn victims, and how it impacted them psychologically. So these guys really did their homework on this. And the marred visage of, of Two-Face kind of points to the potential evil, symbolically, that's lurking within all of us. The, the ugliness of sin, the sheer ugliness of sin. Although, although, even with Two-Face, uh, Harvey Dent's still there, right? It, the capacity for good remains. So Gotham City is not like John Calvin's Geneva. If you don't know who John Calvin is, he was, of course, one of the uh, founders of the Protestant uh, Reformation or the Protestant Revolution, he didn't think Luther had gone far enough in his reforms, and, and, and Calvin was a better theologian, I would say, and he, he kind of turned Geneva, Switzerland into a theocracy. It was kind of like ancient Israel in a certain sense. Trust me, folks, there was no separation of church and state in Calvin's Geneva, but one of the doctrines of Calvinism, classic Calvinism, is this idea of the total depravity of humanity, the total depravity of mankind, and, and that's that's a view that the Joker actually shares in, in the movie, The Dark Knight, because one of the things the Joker says is, he says, quote, when the chips are down, these people will eat each other, you'll see, end of quote. 
and he's, he hatches this nefarious plot to try to get exactly that to happen. He wants the citizens of Gotham to turn on each other, destroy each other. But the inherent good in human nature shines through. Even in a film as dark as the, as the Dark Knight, there, there's some light there for sure. And in, in, in the Catholic tradition, we, we don't believe in total depravity. We believe that even in the worst sinner, good remains because people are created good. They're created in God's image. And, and he, even the most heinous sin can't utterly destroy that. And so the Joker discovers this truth when his plan to call, cause citizens to kill each other fails in the most surprising of ways. And I'm not going to give that away. I'm not going to spoil that for you. You're going to have to see the movie. But, but Harvey Dent's character beautifully represents the power of good example. You know, when he was Harvey Dent, the DA, the white knight of Gotham fighting against evil, he really got people excited. He was really able to create a groundswell of support, kind of like Batman in a certain way. And so the power of good example, but also the nagging pull of original sin and the choice that we all have to make every day. Two-Face kind of exemplifies that. We either give in to the darkness, right? What do you say? You either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. That's his famous line. We either, we do become the villain when we commit sin in a certain sense, but we we give into the darkness or we strive for heroic virtue. That's our choice every day. And and I think, okay, if Heath Ledger's Joker is kind of a satanic figure, if Batman is more like St. Paul, who's Harvey Dent? I think he's like Simon Peter. I think he's like Simon Peter. Because we're like Simon we're like Two-Face, you know, when our faith fails, when we sin, when we deny our Lord by our actions or by our words, the choices that we make, we're like Peter when we choose Christ, the light of Christ in a dark world. And that's what Harvey Dent tried to be. One of the things he said in the movie is he tried to, to be a decent man in an indecent world, a decent man in an indecent world. And that's what we need as men and women of God, we've got to be decent people in a very, very indecent world at times. And so Simon, of course, uh, his his original name, the word Simon means reed. The name Simon means reed. Like think of a reed swaying in the wind. And it's it's interesting because even after he changed his name to Peter, what what did what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, Simon, Simon, called him by his old name. Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed that your faith may not fail. And after you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus could foresee the fall that Simon was going to have, the, the great fall. Forget about Humpty Dumpty. When he denied the, flashed the sword and denied the Lord. That's what, that's what Simon Peter did in the garden and, um, and in the courtyard of the high priest. And so he goes through these terrible things. And he had murder on his mind too. When he cut off the, the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. It's not like he just said, oh, could you just stand still for a second? I'm going to take my Ginsu knife here and just very, very, very cleanly chop off your ear. No, he took a sword and he tried to cut him in half and he just missed. He just miscalculated. Thank God. And Jesus said, no more of this. And then he heals the guy's ear, puts his ear back on. And Dr. Luke, who writes, he's the only guy who mentions that. He says, wow, that's pretty impressive. As a physician, I wish I could do that. And so... That was the great fall of Peter. And, and he, but he, Jesus said, you're going to turn back. You're going to become, you're going to go from this shifty character, like the, the, the reeds swaying in the wind, and you're going to become rock. You're going to become rocky. That's what it really means. And, and you're, you're going to be somebody that we can depend on because you've fallen and you've gotten back up again. Christ has lifted you back up and you can strengthen your brothers because you have, you have that same weakness. And every priest is like that. Every priest knows their human weakness and, 
and they can help us uh, in, in our falls as well. So this great theme of trying to be decent men and women in an indecent world, and, and probably one of the great overall themes in the movie, I'll close with this, is just the personal cost that is involved when we stand against evil. As, as anybody knows who takes their faith seriously, the very moment that you try to subdue sin, the very moment that you try to fight against sin, either in your own life or in the lives of people around you, your immediate orbit, your family, your friends, your coworkers, whoever, the, the wider society, just expand the circles outwards. The moment that you try to attempt to fight against sin, in your own life or in the culture, the spiritual battle intensifies, doesn't it? Temptations to fall increase. Just like Harvey Dent discovered firsthand, the darkness hates the light. The darkness fights against the light. But choosing not to stand, choosing not to fight against evil, it's far worse. It's far worse. And Edmund Burke uh, said so long ago, the famed Edmund Burke, he said, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. All that's necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. To do nothing. Because intentions are not enough. Intentions are not enough. We must have, as Batman did, the will to act. And there's a great line. That's a great theme from the first film, the Batman Begins film. There's a great theme of the will to act, the will to do something. And there's a great line in that movie from the Dark Knight himself, from Batman, when he said, it's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. Like that Batman voice, I was working on that. And that's the way it is with us all. It's not who you are underneath, but what you do that defines you. And so it is with us all. And that's, that's maybe the great lesson of these Batman films from a spiritual perspective. Got to take a quick break right now on the Kale Clark Show, but we will be right back with your phone calls. If you're on the line, stay there. If you want to call in with a take, or a question, 888-914-9149, and we will be right back at the same Bat Channel. Sorry about that, I had to say it. See you in a minute. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program, 888-914-9149. If you want to call in the comment or a question or a take, a take on what I had to say, my take on the Batman films of Christopher Nolan. Nolan's getting ready to release Oppenheimer. We talked about the fact that today is the 15th anniversary of The Dark Knight, which I think is the greatest of his three Batman films. A lot of great Catholic themes, some surprising Catholic themes uh, that I tried to draw out of that film. And if you missed that discussion, please check the podcast on the Relevant Radio app, relevantradio.com. Wherever you get your podcast, you can share it with a friend should be up about uh, 15 or 20 minutes after the program if you want to look for it there. But let's go to the phones right now. Again, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Cat in beautiful San Diego, one of my very favorite cities in the world. Hey, Cat. Hi. I was just listening to your talk and your commentary on the Batman films by Chris Nolan. Those are my favorite, too. And I really appreciate all of just all of the correlations that you brought out with just, you know, the Catholic faith and living your faith and the character of Batman. I just have a totally whole new appreciation <laughs> for a character that I thought I knew and, and that I've been following and enjoying reading about since high school. So thank you so much. And oh. um, that hand, 
and the hand simmer um the hand simmer um soundtrack to the batman movie mm-hmm. is almost as good as his uh soundtrack for gladiator gladiator is my favorite but the batman oh, one is also really good I so love... thank you for playing that oh you're you're most welcome i love gladiator too cat i i love that film Love Russell Crowe. It, it's 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 one of the greatest of all times. Oh, hey, won the best picture, right? So uh, the critics even agreed with that one. But uh, hey, Kat, I really really appreciate that call, that encouraging call in San Diego, California. And yeah, I'm not sure Christopher Nolan or writer David S. Goyer on the screenplay intended so many Catholic themes to be in The Dark Knight. But I guess in some ways it's a little bit like reading a poem or or or, or listening to a song. You can get kind of different meanings out of it depending on how things hit you at the time. And I do think there's some, some great themes, whether they were intended or not is another thing. But um, certainly some things to think about. There, there are a lot of parallels between the saints and the superheroes and between comics and Catholicism. So now yeah, we'll explore some of those connections maybe in future shows as well. But really appreciate that call, Cat uh, in San Diego. Call back anytime. Let's stay in the Golden State. Let's go to Gray in Alameda, California. Hi, Gray. Hi there. How's it going? Um, it's going well. All right. So I uh, heard what you were saying about Simon Peter's name, meaning mm-hmm. Reed. And I thought of a possible connection that I wanted to get your opinion on because, we sure. know, he was the first pope. Mm-hmm. And during the crucifixion, they say they put the crown of thorns on his head and a reed in his right hand. And if there's mm-hmm. a parallel with that and his name, I was wondering if there was anything possibly going on there. Well, actually, I, I don't think that there is in, in that case. In that case, great. I, I do think, though, there is another image that's being uh, drawn on for sure. And when, when the soldiers are mocking Jesus and they put the crown of thorns on his head and they put the, the reed in his hand, that, that, that's a mockery of the staff, of course, of the emperor, uh, the, the emperor, of course, would be crowned with a laurel wreath when he was coronated, uh, whether it's Augustus or whether it's Tiberius Caesar. It, it doesn't matter. And obviously, it was, a, it was a mock coronation ceremony. They're putting the purple robe uh, on our Lord and, and and bowing down before him. And that's the irony, because every knee will bow before Christ, of course, at the end of days, hitting him and saying, Hail, uh, King of the Jews. And so they didn't know what they were doing, but... Uh, Clearly, this is drawn from the Roman coronation ceremony, and that's, in fact, a big theme in the Gospel of Mark, which is very much tied to Peter, by the way. It's really Peter's Gospel, because Mark was Peter's scribe. He hung out with him in Rome, heard heard his preaching, and got a lot of the stuff from Peter. And it's really the, the Gospel to the Romans, in a certain sense. I know Paul writes a letter to the Romans, but Mark's Gospel was headed towards Rome, and, and there's a lot of meaning for the Romans when they, when they read even the first line from Mark's gospel. It says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which sounds to us over 2,000 years later, it sounds, okay, well, that's, we know this, but but it was really like a slap in the face in, in the first century. It was absolutely shocking because he's got the whole world's attention with that short sentence, the beginning of the gospel or the good news. In fact, that's that is exactly what they would say when a new emperor took the throne. Have you heard the good news? Have you heard the good news? You know, Caligula has become the emperor. That wasn't really good news because he was a dud and a nutcase, to say the least. But whenever an emperor took the throne, they would, they would publish it as good news throughout the empire. When there was a great military victory by Rome, it was good news. 
the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. And, and Christ, of course, is not Jesus' last name. Christ means Messiah. And, and so Jesus is the Messiah. So he's right away got the attention of all the Jews, and he's got the attention of all the Gentiles as well. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because Son of God was, again, a title given to the Roman Emperor. And that's why, really, the main character in some ways, one of the main characters, other than Jesus, of course, one of the main characters in Mark's Gospel is the centurion at the end of the Gospel. Because when he sees how Jesus dies, he he immediately says, truly this man was the Son of God. Not my boss, Caesar in Rome, who's the most powerful man on the planet, allegedly, it's this guy who is who is crucified as a common criminal. He's got nothing. He's got nobody. He's all alone, stark naked. There was no loincloth like you see in art that's just for propriety. This is maximum humiliation, maximum pain, maximum punishment. They had to invent a new word for it, crucifixion, uh, excruciating, which means out of the cross. And this guy's got nothing. They wouldn't even they wouldn't even crucify Roman citizens. It was so ghastly a punishment. And the most powerless person, seemingly, in the empire is, in fact, the most powerful being, the most powerful person in the universe. And, and this, this guy, the centurion, is given to recognize that. And, and that's, that's, that's the flip. That's the, the flip of the script. And, and that's really what Mark has to do, because Mark has to convince the Romans that, no, 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 it's not Caesar you should be putting your trust in. It's this guy. Hold on here. Wasn't that the guy who was crucified? Yeah, you can trust him. And here is why. So that, that's really, really uh, an important piece. But yeah, so I don't think I don't think Gray. There's any relation between that that reed that Jesus was holding during that mock coronation and and Peter being known as the reed. But uh, but good question to ask. Yeah, and it's good to think about those those parallels there as, as you read the scriptures. And, and word studies are often very 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 illuminating when you see words pop up uh, time and time again. All right, let's go now to Mike in Chicago. Hey, Mike. Hey, hello. Thanks for taking the call. So you had mentioned uh, the Oppenheimer movie coming out. And just real quick, my adult daughter, she's 20, she wants to see it. And um, some other family members said there's some full nudity or some long frontal nudity scene. And so we're wondering, you know, should we say anything about this? Is, Mm. Is that something that we shouldn't tell her to see? Oh, that's kind of a tr- uh, a tricky question. It, your daughter's an adult. You said she's twenty one years old. Uh, she's twenty. Twenty, twenty. Okay, so yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, as as her dad, you you can still say, hey, you know, if something's maybe questionable and you're thinking of doing it, certainly make make your make, make your opinion known. You might, I, I'd say, you could certainly you're certainly within the realm of reason to tell her. Oh, by the way, did you know this? Uh, this may not be something you want to expose yourself to, um, and there's, there's some exposure happening in the film, obviously, and uh, um, and, and unfortunately, a lot of movies do have uh, those scenes. Very often, they're gratuitous; they don't move the plot forward. It has nothing to do with the with the story arc, um, and I, th- I think people need to to make choices. Um, responsible choices about what they're going to see, what they're not going to see. Some things are clearly morally out of bounds. Um, but I, I, I understand that. There's some, If someone says, I would never see a movie that depicts something or, or shows the human body, you know, gratuitous nudity, I, I totally respect that choice. I totally respect that choice. Others may feel that um, their faith won't take a hit if they 
you know, maybe during that scene they cover their eyes and plug their ears and say, no, 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 no. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's different ways to, to deal with it. Um, and it's an interesting question. I, I, I don't know if there's an answer to that question. Um, I, I know, I know a guy who, who works at a university and he, and he sometimes, he loves movies. And sometimes what he does is he shows films to the students, but he will go through ahead of time and he will edit the films and he'll edit out any questionable moral content and he loves scenes out of the films. But then, um, and maybe that's a good thing, but then he'll leave in, you know, gratuitous violence at the scenes like that. So I, I don't know. I mean, there's, is that, is that good for people to be seeing either? It's a, it's a tough call, and, and that might be a, a great topic for another show, actually, to, to, to talk about the moral implications of films and certain scenes in them and whether or not we ought to be looking at them. And certainly I would say that if, if you're in a place where you know that that could be a spiritually dangerous thing for you to see and that might lead you down a path, uh, whether in your thought life or even outside in the, in the physical world, the things that you might not want to do, things you might not want to be thinking about, impure thoughts actions that sort of thing then then you got to know yourself really well too and and um and what you can and can't handle so i'll just have to leave that there that's an interesting question but thank you so much for that mike and thank you to everybody who tuned in to this episode of the kale clark show again if you missed any of it check the podcast later please uh, download share it with a friend i really appreciate your support of relevant radio gotta tell you tomorrow actually we just started this today another podcast you can look at New series on the Faith Explained. It's kind of a summer blockbuster series, if you will. And the, blo- the reason why it's a blockbuster is because it comes from our Lord himself. Seven letters from Jesus to seven churches in the book of Revelation. It's my favorite part of the book of Revelation. We're calling it Letters from Heaven. That sounds like a movie title too, doesn't it, Producer Jim? That's pretty clever. Anyways, uh, check out that series. Again, 1230 Central on Relevant Radio. Catch episode number two tomorrow, episode number one on the podcast right now and we'll be back again tomorrow with the kale clark show on relevant radio at 5 p.m central and stay tuned for trending with timory and the family rosary across america with father rocky jim shaper produced young thomas sounds like a movie character himself took your phone calls i'm kale clark take it away michaela thank you for listening to my daddy